Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. Welcome to this week's guests, one only Ben Archibald. Now, Ben and I have a long history, and the history goes back to what year was it, Ben? Uh, it was probably uh, 1998, was it? Maybe 90 or maybe 2000. Was it 2000? Did, did you go to our the, the 2000 party that we had, the, the New Year's Eve party? Were you oh, at that? look, I think it was a party, Pete. I probably would have been there. I reckon. I've been known to like a good party. So Ben's real estate career, that, that, that was, we'll call it the year 2000, started when he just finished uh, studies at Curtin University as a B, B bus or BCom. Yep, BCom in property. In property. Yep. And uh, we were then Ben's first job out of university. Uh, ben, oh, well, I... Second, second actually. Sorry. Second. Yeah. yeah, well, first job I don't like to count, though, because oh. <laughs> it was a bit of a crash and burn. <laughs> a crash and burn? Okay, yeah. well... Yeah, very inexperienced and green in the... And you, and you took me under your wing, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ben worked uh, with me uh, at uh, Peter Fletcher Realty, I think it was called then. Yes. Yep. And uh, as a as a sales rep, and uh, yeah, look, it was a it was a tough market back then, wasn't it, Ben? You know, like it wasn't. Yeah, there were there weren't um, certainly very very contrasting conditions. So yeah, houses didn't fly out the door. They were six weeks of hard marketing to yeah. get, a, get a run on the board. Yeah, and yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, price yeah. reduction and and, and, and pricing pricing was. Uh, was sensitive and you had to get your appraisals right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And from there, you, um, I, I remember a really, really fruitful conversation for both of us and uh, that that's when you decided to go on to use your degree um, to go on and become a valuer. Uh, I think you went to Glen Dinnings, is that right? That's right. I got a call up from uh, a friend I'd studied with and had a job opportunity and it was just, more of a lifestyle. I had the choice of taking a salary or yeah. taking a, you know, um, a, a commission-based wage and certainty and that sort of thing. So, and and it was probably my. I think I knew my heart was probably in valuations and analysis yeah. and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, although now, I think real estate is also a game. I think you get back to uh, when you've had life's experiences and makes you into a much better <laughs> uh, negotiator. Yes, yes. So I think I could actually do it well now. I think you'd be excellent, Ben. <laughs> but yes. uh, we'll talk about your buyer's agency uh, exploits. Yes. And uh, and so we, we sort of fast forward, what, 20-odd years to uh, to now? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, in valuations for, yeah, just, just shy of 24 years, I think it is. Mm. So, yeah, I've seen all the ups and downs, the uh, 07, 08. Uh, market crash was it was certainly educational working in the western suburbs at the time 
and really interesting now in this current climate, um, just being very aware of um, what goes up must come down. In theory, yes. In we'll theory. talk about that. Yep. And now you're a, a senior valuer, is that right? A yes, sen- yeah. I, uh, I, uh, you haven't got as se- many grey hairs as I expected no, you have. No, still got a few. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, senior valuer analyst uh, for Preston Row Patterson. I've been there for about two years and uh, yeah, really loving the, relishing in the challenge of what we do there mm. uh, in commercial and residential and yeah, rental, uh, retail, Get we get our... Yeah, we're a smaller firm, so we a lot of our valuers get a lot more multidisciplinary experience, not just doing houses each day. So, mm. yeah. So when it comes to putting a, a price on a property, you're something of an expert, or, or you'd have to say. Well, you'd you'd think so, Pete. <laughs> In this market, I feel uh, probably more uneasy about putting prices on things than I ever have. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Why is that? So normally valuers are creatures of, of evidence and, and market data, but that's increasingly hard to uh, get accurately and timely. So we know that when you go for a bank loan, the bank wants the valuation in a very fast time frame. We've often got maybe minutes to mm-hmm. literally finish off a valuation and get, a, get the right figure on it. Mm-hmm. And it can come down to a phone call with an agent, a colleague, a discussion with somebody that gives you the final nod to put a figure on a property and that's uh, more nervous now because of how uncertain we just don't know where the market is going week by week almost. It just seems to be vertical. Mm-hmm. So uh, so tell us a little bit about the work you do for banks. The banks rely on this valuation for their security purposes. Correct. Uh, we do uh, about 40% of our business is mortgage valuations for banks yep. and lending institutions. And in terms of residential houses, it's mostly comes up when people are refinancing, borrow a bit of money or buy something, or most commonly when they're purchasing. So you'll see that a valuation will get done is normally the last item to tick off your finance approval. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it is the valuer that can literally get you your house or, or not. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because so, it, it's it's often, yeah, finance is approved, Yahoo, just waiting on the valuation, the valuation comes through and it's doesn't come up to Val and so they don't get the loan. Yeah, that's, uh, that's um, they will generally uh, rely solely on, on that nod. Um, so we're very aware when we come to disagree with a price someone's paid or what we call pull something back uh, is we are very aware of the responsibility we hold when that hammer comes down. <laughs> ben, do you see the offer and acceptance? Yes, that's actually pretty important because we, we actually look over the offer and acceptance quite carefully, see how many, if there's any, any counter offers, look at the where the buyer resides, if they're in the East Coast or... Um, so we look at some of those factors to build the picture of the buyer profile, the vendor profile, try and work out how the transaction has come about. What's the purpose of that? We're, we're trying to look at areas where there might be someone might have overpaid or circumstances which might lead them to, to potentially under or overpay. Related party might be same surname or something like that. Mm. So they're all the little checks that you you do as as a valuer. Um, so can I just interrupt there, Ben? Yep. Uh, so if you saw on an offer and acceptance lots of counter offers, 
it would kind of give you some sort of comfort that the price ended up at the right spot be- simply because there was a this sort there of- was a negotiation yeah yeah and what we've noticed in the recent three months or so is less of that so yeah just, and just, that does not at all surprise me no it, it typically uh, y- you might be lucky to see you know one counter offer and then you know it's it- yeah because the counter offers uh, are pretty much non-existent because the agents are relying on multiple offers. So they're yes. going back to the all the buyers saying, you make your highest and yep. best offers, and they just pick the one that's at the highest and best and yep. take and that. So what you what you put, the, you hit the nail on the head. So at the moment, what all that information that used to be on the offer that we could see the negotiation is now happening out there behind the veil of the, of the buyer and the, and the agent. And, and so we don't get to see any of that. So uh, even more important these days to pick up the phone and talk to the agent, we pretty much have to do it on most transactions now to get the, if the agent doesn't meet you at the property, to discuss it, you need to sort of know what's gone into and how it's, you know, how many offers, because we're, we're seeing people overpay regularly. Mm. So it's... it's uh, we just want to make sure they're not overpaying, you know, by too much of a factor. And that's where we want to capture those. So the question is, well, what does overpaying look like? And uh, to paint a bit of a picture, I was talking to uh, Jamie Harrington from Hub Residential. Yes. And Jamie said that it's not unusual to see the difference between the, the highest offer or the offer that got accepted and the next highest offer mm. to be as high as as much as 10 percent yes so yep. on a on a on a 2.6 two and a half million dollar property it could be the second best offer was a 2.5 and this and the winner was at 2.75 yeah is that right yeah 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 that's yeah and that's typical of the western suburbs where you've generally got greater purchasing power and they they typically are just got um greater funds behind them so they're able to play around with more money effectively and and uh sometimes it just comes down to if they're prepared to pay a bit more uh, they will if they've got it in their pocket yeah so so you do a valuation in a western suburbs you know scenario and somebody's paid 2.75 next closest offer was two and a half is this something that you'd ask the agent you know what 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 was the spread of offers what did they look like yeah 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 definitely tell you that Sometimes, yeah. If if they uh, generally the agent is they're selling you the the offer that that's been accepted and yes. that it's you know it's fair and that's you know it was good buying, of course. And that's that's the typical. So most valuers are pretty uh, used to that. But we we often you know they won't show us those offers, but mm. most agents will happy to sort of say, yeah, I had three offers. I had one at this, one at this, and this one, one out, but it was 20 grand higher. A little bit uh, you'll start to see at the moment with uh, more people getting knocked back on finance because of their um, serviceability criteria getting tighter. Some some buyers will take the lower, uh, maybe take a lower offer mm. that's maybe not subject to finance. So you might find that the, the, the offer that is successful is not necessarily the highest. Yeah, that's a, and that's a really good point, which is to say to, to buyers is make sure that the other parts of your offer 
are sharp. Yeah. yeah. Make sure your finance approval date is sharp. Make sure the, you, the, the amount of the loan is, is specified. Make sure that the bank is specified. Make it all clear. Present a pre-approval letter if you have one. Yeah. Make your deposit a substantial deposit. All those things, they, they add up for the, for the seller to de-risk the transaction. Yeah. And uh, less, less uh, you know, when you, sometimes when you've been out on the weekend and you're not just having to go through a home open, you hear these stories of my wife just found a house, we walked through it and we, we put an offer in. Unfortunately, those days are uh, at the moment probably not quite there because you've got to get all your ducks in a row well before 100%. the buying decision, mm-hmm. you know, comes to pass. And that's maybe leading me on to the, the next point which is you know what can you do to sort of arm yourself in this market if you happen to be trying to buy in the market what can you do should we chat about it yeah what's your recommendation well Mm. first of all my first point is is i would only buy in this market if you're selling in this market so okay i think there's only a a, a, because that the market's so heated at the moment you you know you're going to be overpaying and i think you can only you know counteract that uh, risk if if you've got maybe something to sell, so you buy high, sell high. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're looking to buy at the moment, uh, certainly wait till uh, when do the RBA meet? Peter's at the seventh. Uh, it's it's Melbourne Cup Day, Ben. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think it's so. The yeah. So, do, do you think that'll have an impact? Oh, look, I don't think it will, but I think uh, they have indicated that the increased pressure of interest rates will start to bite as people's savings are drained. So people have been going through their savings, they've, they've been getting by, but it's going to start to buy next year. Mm-hmm. So things might not be as hectic, and I'd be willing to bet that there'd be more stock on the market next year. What do you think? Well, I'm uh, just, I'm completely bullet shy about making predictions. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because in 2019, uh, when was COVID? Two twenty. Yeah, 2020. So, so at the, the start of 2020, yeah, 2019, you felt like things were starting to improve. It was like, it, it was we just- We came like, off a really was, low base in 2018. Yeah, it was, that was, it was just starting to, like, we heard the, the term green shoot so often. And, you know, we saw some green shoots in 2019, the start of 2020. And then um, I remember going to a, a Westpac or a NAB forum that was the, the Real Estate Institute was there and I think the Property Institute was there or something like And the, 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 it was all, all the indicators are it's going to go up nice and steady through 2020. Yeah. And they said, but there's this little thing called, bearish. there's yeah. this little thing called coronavirus. It's uh, very viral, but not very deadly. It might have an impact. We don't know what impact it will have, but, you know, stay tuned. Well, I'll be honest, most of the impact uh, that we heard about was more along the lines of the, the negative impact, wasn't it? Well, com- completely. It, it, you know, it was going to be what's, it, you know, people are going to stop going out and spending. Not, They're going to be in, conservative. In, I mean, it was couldn't have been more wrong. April or, or May of that year, I sat down with my team and I, we, we had an open and frank conversation about the likelihood of mass redundancies because you know, all, all yeah. you could see Wouldn't was this cliff. Work from home was uh, not attractive or uh, didn't think it would work, did we? It, well, it was just like the numbers just, just stopped. Mm. It was like 
wow. And then, then the government just started hosing money into our bank accounts. And it was, you, you just went from being, well, we're, we're just doomed to, yeah. we can't help but make profit. And then it just all sort of the engine spiraled up from there. And yeah, uh, yeah. We, know, we had the perfect storm and, uh, uh, we we're at just, uh, supply demand tug of war at the moment aren't we so yeah yeah well so so that's my long answer to uh what's my prediction well i actually have no idea ben but the way things are the trajectory we're on is that it's going to keep on going up but we've got this thing called interest rates and we're yeah. just not sure oh look definitely we'll, we'll keep going up i'm more interested in in the rate that it's going up and and maybe um more about the the stock and having stock a bit of choice, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you can hold off till defer a buying decision to when you've got, there's always another house. That's what someone I think my yeah. dad told me once. When you're buying a, pro- there's always another house. But there, well, there is, but if if you stay out of the market, let's say you're in the market today at six hundred thousand, yeah, and you stay out of the market for twelve months. In twelve months' and time, the it's cost it's, of that, the it's rent. going to it's going to cost you. 660,000 to get back into the market, same house. Mm. So you know, that is the reality. So I know I'm very cautious of, about telling people, I, well, I don't tell people wait. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they wait and then the market goes up by 10%, it's just cost them 60 grand. Yeah. Uh, oh, it really comes down to the, the drivers of why they're buying in the first place i think if it's a if it's, if it's a a proper need and we've already established they need to buy yeah but what about investors investors yeah if you if you say to an investor the market's pretty hot at the moment i think there's going to be a a correction and the correction doesn't come and the market goes up by 20% but the thing with investors are they're not really yes they're interested in capital growth but their main concern for, first and foremost is rental uh, now, if we have rents uh, continuing to go up, even if the market, property market comes off, I think you'll find the rent market will stay up for a lot longer because it's always a bit of a, a delay. There'll be a so there's potentially there's very little supply, and there's potentially going to be a good four or five years of strong rents mm. to come. Mm-hmm. So I would, and I would say to investors, you know, if you find something that's got a good return. And you can get in at around the median house price for an area mm. or under the median house price. I think we just – what's the median house price going to go up to? I think it's uh, uh, six, 670 or something. I think it's or, over seven now. Yeah. I, I think. Uh, so, yeah, if you can get in underneath that um, or just something that's on a good rental return, mm. I think definitely um, pull the trigger. So Yeah. Okay. Ben, I want to talk about – the factors that you take into account when you're valuing property, because like we've had a re- some recent conversations about process that you go through to, to value yep. property, and we've already talked about you know that sort of pre like pre valuation checks that you do. But I think there's more there. Yeah, yep. I want to ask you a question: How do you value a golf course? <laughs> no, I'm joking, Ben. <laughs> no. So, uh, in, in all seriousness, what are the what are the factors that you guys take into account, aside from what's on the offer and acceptance? Yeah. So, look, most of our valuers that are going out on the road each day um, doing valuations for banks, that they don't get very long in a house. They generally only spend about ten to fifteen minutes. Wow. 
at an inspection, mm-hmm. but they're they're pretty highly tuned and they're looking for they're, they're really just looking at a number of key factors. But obviously, we get the 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 land size and the living size, and you know we're we're looking at the location of the property and all those sorts of things, which mm-hmm. are pretty obvious. But the main one is is presentation and overall functionality. You know, now functionality might be just how does the house work for its end user or its mm-hmm. buyer. So, you know, does the floor plan work? Now, sometimes a house can be two hundred square meters, and another house with a different floor plan will sell at a different a lower price simply because the floor plan's designed poorly. Yeah. So, so let, have let's, to be... let's talk about floor plans. So we um, we had a conversation very recently about a property in City Beach that I was looking at on behalf of a client. The, the photos online, beautiful. Yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah. it was seriously a stunning home. Yep, yep. But you picked up some... Some problems with the floor plans. What the the floor plan? What were they? So, uh, one of the things I've learnt to value what that Australia, West Australians value highly is their outdoor areas and their outdoor living spaces. And we also like to have the good old fashioned barbie. You know, when you've mm. got a bit of room for a few mates to come around or a few families, uh, or you've got, you know, all your friends' kids mm. suddenly land and you you're trying to entertain them. So I'm looking for you know. Separate separation, you know, of living areas. So you've got different spaces for entertaining, just space for more than four or five people to to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, so covered, covered, protected from the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the old houses in City Beach, you know, the the whole backyard's dominated by a a fifty meter swimming pool. You know, mm-hmm. exaggerating, but they typically can be a bit hard to work around because you've taken up all your real estate outside with, with a, with a massive pool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, just so you, but also I guess, um, that, that was things the, like ceiling that heights would... as well might be a factor. Um, mm-hmm. some of these older renovated homes, you know, there's still 28 core ceilings and mm-hmm. just feeling like you're boxed Ceiling in. heights are a thing, aren't they? Uh, the, well, in the they, Western they, suburbs, they really are. Well, I, it, I, mean, I think he, even... Like I've been looking at some properties down in Beldivers for a client and uh, you step into a home that's, uh, I think, what's the next step up? 32 course is, is a, yeah, is a th- good... Yeah, so 31 is is sort of the the, the new standard now. Mm-hmm. 28's really, um, is you know, really home buyers. Which buys. is the old eight-foot ceilings that... Yeah, that's uh, you your know, real budget. If, if 31 can, is, yeah. If I can stand on tippy toes and touch it, that's an eight-foot ceiling. Yeah, yeah. right. It's... Uh, and it... It feels like it's f- the ceilings falling in on you. Well, it, it de- definitely uh, when you've got that feeling of space, uh, it people just feel more uh, relaxed and gives you know, a sense of volume, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it le- lets him. You generally find that you have bigger windows as well. It lets him more light, and um, so uh, so look. And where you've got older renovated homes, ceiling heights sometimes aren't um, aren't able to be change very easily so mm. they get left mm-hmm. uh, everything else gets renovated but you end up with these low mm-hmm. ceiling heights mm-hmm. but uh i look at the hub of a house as well like how the how the kitchen which is generally the center of the house and the dining room and the living area can can it sort of open up and really you know cater for a larger group of people the one and, we're talking about it didn't do that did it there, there was there was no real 
outdoor area and the kitchen was separated the from the kitchen was the dining yeah, fully the, separated no no sort of um yeah, so if connectivity in, with the rest yeah, of the so house if you're in there preparing a meal you are doing that on your own while everyone else is out drinking wine yeah and whilst i don't mind that if it's the room's large enough um, when it's quite small and you can imagine getting four or five people in there of a, say, yeah. a school morning getting breakfast ready. For me, it just seems like a, mm. uh, it would be problematic. <laughs> and these things impact a home's value? I think so. I think people, um, when they're actually looking to put their money on, hard money on the line, they really do think about how a house will work for them. Mm. Where their furniture's going, we hear the the old uh, saying when an agent says uh, when the buyer starts to picture their furniture in the house, that's when you know they're really oh, serious. Yeah. You know yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're they're starting to hundred percent yeah. how it works, and I think they would be um, especially when they're you know making a big purchase like uh, you know starting to get north of two or three million dollars. Mm. I would be really considering functionality of your floor plan to be not just the the the, the type of bench tops and the, the fit out might be outstanding mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the floor plan doesn't work it really will cut yeah. you off at the knees yeah yeah and and, and it's funny you, you connected value you know the value of a property as in the dollar value of a property and and buyer demand as in would the would a buyer shell out their hard earned to purchase this product. Yep. And that's exactly right because my client yesterday when they they saw through this property, both of those things that you've just mentioned, the, the lack of outdoor area and the lack of connection between the kitchen and the dining room, mm. they raised that as an issue. Yeah. And that's – so it can either be an issue or an opportunity as well. So sometimes you look at a property and you see an opportunity to – because I, I thought about that massive, you know, a big pool and I thought, well, I could put a deck over a part of that mm-hmm. and and actually utilise some of that outdoor area you'd otherwise taken up by the pool. Mm-hmm. Could I knock a wall out? Could I, you know, are there things that I can do to improve it? So it could be an opportunity, uh, especially for an investor if they're going through a property, uh, might be a four by one. How could I change the walk-in robe, I might be able to change that to an ensuite or mm. can I get an extra? Mm. So, look, we values that are probably more experienced can really go through a house and think about all these things literally in seconds as we go through and go, yeah, that works, that works, this is in the right place, it's a good feel. Um, we're literally making thousands of decisions every minute and and you come out of the house, you know, and you've normally got the floor plan, you've got... Um, photographs, and then you can actually start to absorb all the information and mm, mm. then you start to actually start making value uh, adjustments and start going, well, yep. you know, the house a few doors down the road um, had a had a theatre. Mm-hmm. You know, and ours doesn't have a theatre. Mm-hmm. It's got a really nice outdoor, outdoor area or fresco area. And you start adding, subtracting, and then you start to actually find yourself, you know, arriving at some value I guess, uh, outcomes. Mm. Yeah. So, mm, mm. so if that answers your so, uh, question somewhat. Yeah. It, it's, it, this, this stuff's fascinating, Ben. It just, just occurred to me that 24 years down the track here, 
I am learning from you. Like it, <laughs> it, it's, this stuff is really, really good. And, uh, you know, I'm really so glad you, you've taken the time to, you know, share this stuff with me. Yep. I went through a property in Lath Lane uh, last weekend, I think it was. And uh, it was a 19, I'm going to say, uh, might be a, you know, that late 1970s, early 1980s sort of brick. It was a kind of a tumbled brick. Yeah, light yeah, brown not, brick. Not the not the, uh, the calcite sort of white no, sort of brick. No, no, but no, it was a sort of a more of a it was a sort of a light chocolate colour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of like a clinker brick sort of thing, but uh, not not quite, as dark as clinker. Not, not as yeah. the not like the yeah. calamunda. Yeah. Special. No, 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 not a calamunda special. And uh, it, it had a lot of face brick, um, which yep. is not to everyone's liking. But when it's done well, you can actually get away with it. Yep. You know, it had it had the the typical nine late seventies, early eighties uh, dropped uh, living areas. Yeah, so, yeah. The recess, to me, that's just a ridiculous thing to do these days because you know, like it's just a, is a trip hazard. Well, it's crazy it's, in a way. You you, you drop the floor uh, rather than raising the ceiling. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually, yeah. you it's actually, a, it was an art. So nine, you end up getting a higher ceiling. Yeah, it was a, um, it which was a, is sort of why they did it to give a feeling of space it was a 70s or 80s architectural thing that i think uh, was just a stupid idea but hey whatever trends in the day so you could put up with the the sunken lounge but the bedrooms were minuscule right they were tiny yep and which is kind of leading me to the to the question is and so therefore this is a leading question are there things in a home that are so bad as in small bedrooms that you just can't change that affect the value yeah yeah definitely so there's there's sort of the the list of things that would come back to like like bedroom sizes or it might be um lacking a or a really really small bathroom and a really yeah. small ensuite yeah can be a real yeah a real problem and and it takes tens of thousands of dollars yeah off the value Mm. So uh, I, I recently had the experience of selling a house with very small bedrooms, mm -hmm. and went to the effort of uh, you know, had a king bed in the bedroom at the time of selling it, and I actually <laughs> dismantled. Single. I dismantled the king size bed and I put in a double bed, just a double bed yes. with side tables, and took out every single piece of furniture in that room just to try and make it look look larger. But it was it was. It came up time and time again as the the reason a lot of buyers, but somebody bought it in the end. Yeah. So, so there'll be a price point yeah. which which it meets the point at which someone's willing to trade off the smaller bedrooms. Yeah. And they had a very young family; they had, their kids were very yeah. little. So normally kids don't, you know, little toddlers don't need big big rooms. Mm -hmm. So sometimes smaller bedrooms suit. Yeah, so real young. it's a compromise that they can make at that stage of the their teenagers life. Teenagers, it, it might be. Yeah, might be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, tough. so you know, rooms that are, are the wrong size are just the wrong size. Mm. So, a, an ensuite that is too small is never going to get bigger. I saw one down in Mozzie Park just recently. Lovely home, but the on the the walk-in robe was small. Like it was, yeah. it was a double-sided walk-in robe, you know, like two-person walk-in robe. But there's wasn't enough room in there to get changed. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah. you had to take your clothes out and then go back in the bedroom, get changed, and then go back into the into the <laughs> robe. To, so 
rooms that are the wrong size are the wrong size and they that impacts on value. Yeah. It's hard though in the western suburbs sometimes at say Mozzie Park, you're looking at a house that's say $2 million and the land is worth 1.8. Yeah. So suddenly you're at a point where- Is this house actually worth anything? Well, the real issue is, is that there's not a lot of value in the house and it's sort of, if you don't buy it, somebody else will and they'll probably knock it over yeah. or, or rebuild it. It does really depend on, you know, but certainly if you build a new house mm-hmm. and you get something wrong that's like a, a room size or you get something in the wrong place, it does uh, make a huge impact. So Now, talking about rooms that are wrong, the wrong size, you can also go the other way and and make rooms kind of too big or or like too ostentatious and sort of unbalance the home. And I'm thinking of this the, the place in City Beach where you know the upstairs area was just this stunning like yeah. master suite with its own kitchen and like the, everything Look, about they, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was almost it was almost OTT for 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 what that home was look i think uh same can apply i think if you get the um you know you're trying to make allowances for you know for the you know for your buyer and you're trying to wow them with a you know a huge big big room and try and dress it up it it's i guess that's the interesting thing with um with renovations is quite often people just engage a builder and they maybe don't think about engaging an actual architect or a designer or somebody yeah. who's got some expertise. They just say, we want to come in and we want to make that room bigger and we want to add an mm-hmm. ensuite here and we want to do this here. Mm-hmm. And a builder's just going to go, yep, that's what it's going to cost. And they go ahead and do it. And we see it time and time again. My, my biggest thing at the moment that I would uh, let people know is now is the time where advice really does pay in buying real estate and and uh, renovating real estate and investing, it doesn't cost that much to get good advice. You know, yeah. we we charge uh, you know somewhere around three hundred three hundred fifty dollars an hour. Mm. You can come in and bring all your you know you're trying to buy in a suburb. Mm-hmm. Look, we're not going to be able to get a valuation done fast enough in a mm-hmm. in this market, but we can arm you with the the evidence to know what's the limits of that you can push things. Yeah. And that's again why buyer's agent or a designer or when you start to do works on a property, get get some independent advice. Yeah. Yeah. Or you Ar- start, architects architects are worth their weight in gold. Like they they people see, are a bit they scared of architects ex- though. They seem expensive, but the result that you can get out of a home that you, you you make use of a space much better uh, if yep. it's well designed. Yeah, even a even a, a drafty or designer, and there's plenty that come out on an hourly rate and just will give you a portfolio of ideas and mm-hmm. pictures and things to palette color palettes and things like that. So there's there's no excuse in nowadays if you're starting a renovation project or or looking to do improvements on do due diligence get. Get in somebody before you buy. Is that wall structural? Can I take it out? Can mm-hmm. I improve the size of the the ensuite? Some of them are. Oh, that's an easy fix. Some of them are. Well, that's a structural wall. I'm going to have to put a beam in. I'm going to, you know, so you can find out about these things earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can um, 
although it's not advisable, but you can put a clause in a contract that, you know, you have a due diligence thing. But yeah, it's I doubt, bloody tough in this market, I doubt, man. I doubt you'd uh, compete, but certainly more so in, in development and yeah. – and, uh, Yeah, in your development land, it's more and, and, anticipated and, that, that would and, happen. And in some of your commercial type purchases, I think you've uh, – that's more commonplace. So, mm, mm, mm. yeah. Mm. So, what else? What other factors uh, do you take into account, Ben? Um, so, I was going to often get. You know, you asked me earlier. Um, what's the common question you get asked at a barbecue when you're um, when you f- they find out you're a valuer? Obviously, other than gee, what's a, what's the property market doing right now? Yeah, well, yeah. You have to be under a rock if you don't know what that's doing yeah. at the moment. But the second question: where to buy? What do I buy? And what? Where do I buy? Yeah. Uh, look, even for me, I, I find that question hard to answer, but I would probably start by saying it's not so much where to buy, it's what you're buying and the price point that you're buying it in. So mm-hmm. if you can stick to something that's at or under the median house price, if you can get something that maybe that's near the new Metronet stations or, you mm-hmm. know, we've got increased transport options coming up, you know, Metronet's going to improve a lot of connectivity down in our Armadale, Midland regions. So there's a whole lot of areas that are going to get opened up to to better transport, which haven't had it. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to find those factors that are um, not already uh, known about, I suppose. So the, t- the typical factors that most people know where there's a good place to buy, but mm-hmm. you're trying to find the those places that maybe have some room to grow, mm-hmm. some growth. So... At the moment, our best performing suburbs are our outer mortgage belt mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. So your Gosnells, Armadale, Kelmscott. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, and mainly because of their affordability. So um, they've had the biggest yeah, jump well, in in because they they just sit they sit that much below the median house price. Yeah, those eastern states investors that you referenced uh, earlier. You know, yeah, they they see. Uh, a a $450,000 three-by-two in Gosnells and go... Rented for 600 bucks a week and they go, I'll have three of them. Yeah, yeah. And and it would be nothing for them to go, you want 475 for it? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 500. (laughs) (laughs) And and so there's a, like, you know, just that flippant, well, I'll I'll give you extra for it just to get your name on the title. There's your, your, your rapid capital growth that, you know, that's what's... Yeah, it, yeah. It seemed to me that's what's driving it. Uh, there, there's just uh, nothing. Uh, the east coast is, um, you know, they've got a very challenging barrier of entry. Just the high prices over there. So their our market just looks incredibly, still looks incredibly attractive. attractive. And we're yeah. starting to push, you know, five percent yields in residentials. You know, some north of six. You know, if you've got a property that's fully furnished, potentially might have. Three or four thousand dollars worth of fantastic furniture in it, and it's fully furnished, and mm. it's a very real situation where a lot of uh, renters um, maybe don't have furniture, or they can't get it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you can furnish a house with secondhand furniture mm-hmm. very cheaply, very easily. Mm. A lot of these, uh, we know we've got population coming into the state daily. Yeah, uh, you you give them a, a house that's furnished and got some decent furniture in there you will get a better rent return Mm -hmm. uh, for a very little outlay Mm a little bit of extra work so you know investors have to can um can capitalize and just 
do go a little bit above and beyond and and you can do do a bit better than your average yeah person so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so in terms of you know the, those areas that are doing you know where to buy and that mm. i i see this on uh you know some of the the facebook groups that god there's some stupid questions asked on some of these facebook groups really yeah okay. yeah my god ben it's just like, <laughs> you know like people are asking questions they should be asking their accountant you know around tax advice yeah uh, right. and then they're asking questions well what suburbs are going to go up in value in the next 12 months honestly how would you know who yeah it, well, it, it's, it's absolutely impossible without you know no one knows that yeah. the answer to that question the, well look i i prefer to certainly try and control the factors that you can uh which is with the type of property you buy with the yeah. accommodation the yeah. block size you know maybe it's um, looking whether it's got some up potential for um value add opportunities uh that's that's where i'm um if i was looking for a property for a for a buyer be looking at and what are their needs in one of, one Four or five years' time. One of the things I say to, to especially investors, well, and even owner-occupiers, well, where should we buy? Well, the best way to answer that is let's buy the best quality asset your budget can afford. It should and, be that should be that from the get-go, shouldn't it? Yeah, well, uh, often it's… Uh, and, the, and then would you have to argue that it obviously depends on the risk profile, but sometimes residential property may not be the, you know, there's other… Yeah, there are yeah, there are yes. other assets out there. Yes, um, offering 100%, better returns. Yeah, and, and in fact, some investors, uh, I would venture to say that they're better. They would be better off buying shares. Well, we're certainly buying in at a low now, aren't we? Well, let's not get into the let's realm of, buy, of yeah. giving investment advice. But in terms of uh, asset class, Ipsos uh, did some. They, they created what I think was called a livability index. Okay, that just came out and, a few days ago, didn't it? And um, they identified what are the factors that make a suburb livable. Yep. Yeah. Subiaco took out the crown of um, most livable very, suburb for very, Perth. Very possibly because yeah. there are factors such as can you walk around the suburb at night and feel safe? Mm-hmm. Access to... Dining, entertainment, and shops. Yep. Ticks that. Shade Acts, is one of them. Yes. Shade was is a big factor. Yeah. Yep. Street established street trees and, and Subiaco is beautiful in that regard. Mm. Proximity to transport has that. Proximity to the C B D and uh, employment centers, it has that. Uh, proximity to natural natural resources such as you know, parks, parks and Kings Park, swimming pool, the, public swimming pools, and yes, yeah, uh, and the ocean. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it has all, all of those things. So then you go, okay, well, where in Perth has all those things? And there's basically two areas. Well, there are a few areas that have that. Uh, number one is the Golden Triangle. Number two is Applecross Ardross. In that that little s- yep. section Sending there, a little bit the of South, yep. a little bit of South Perth, and then Kalamunda. Uh, which is, is a bit of bit of an odd one. Yeah, but for but a hills, it's actually got most of those things. So, and if you map the long term capital growth of suburbs, guess which suburbs have long term capital growth at at very high, high levels, levels? All those suburbs, and so you go, 
all right, well, if your budget isn't to get you into Subiaco, Del, Delkeith, Netherlands, the Golden Triangle, yeah. what's the closest next best thing that you can get to? Mm. What, you know, where, where is that? And uh, you, okay, well, if my budget is 450, well, then I'm going to end up in Redcliffe or I'm going to end up in Kelmscott, Gosnells, whatever. Or where it is, yeah. So how can I select a really good property within that location. So it's not going to be a stellar, it's yep. not going to be a, like a stellar suburb ever, but we can choose a good location within that location. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one little thing that I probably learned over time um, in valuation is that people in Perth love character homes. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. they always, so they're, they're harder to renovate. They're, they are more <laughs> expensive to Sometimes you take one on and, you know, end up with a can of worms of work to do, but nine times out of ten they'll outperform a house that doesn't have any character or, you know, of an era where it's just a bit bland. So so those older cottages and things like that mm. is, is a standout one for me um, of what to focus on. Um, you just have to do your do your due diligence of, you know, what, what about um, livability and sustainability sustainability features in a home and energy efficient? Is that, yeah. a, is that, a, we, is we that off- an emerging area, Ben, in terms of valuation practice? Is that- Definitely it's extended probably to as much as if a property's got solar panels uh, and it's got a decent system enough to offset 70% of your yearly use, it will definitely outperform a house that doesn't mm-hmm. have it. And we would see, a, you know, at least a, you know, potentially up to $5,000 difference potentially between, you know, if a, syst- a system's over and above a standard, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of premium. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Most people still go off the basics, you know, house size and, yeah, you know, aesthetics and finishes. But increasingly, yeah, water-saving ability and because there are people who are really probably more conscious of costs ongoing costs you factor, one's the big do you factor one. insulation into it yeah definitely do you mm. yeah yeah um you know i've done a number of houses where i always talk to the tenant because they're the, probably the person most likely to give you an honest answer of what a house is like to live mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. oh the you know the pipes rattle or the it's cold or it doesn't have good you know i can't heat it uh, my uh, heating bill is a thousand dollars a year, mm. uh, so a very good, yeah, very good indication of um, no one likes to be freezing cold in mm. winter. So mm. just the basics, yep, yeah, insulation, and our climate now, air conditioning is now almost mandatory. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. If you don't have some form of air conditioning, you're, uh, you know, you're in. I would recommend to a, a seller of potentially even putting it in yeah. prior to sale. As a feature. Mm. Because of the impact that might have on marketability. Ben, I'm just a bit aware of time. I know you've got uh, things to do. We've got the weekend to prepare for. Yep. This has been awesome. Yeah, uh, it's been great to... It's just uh, like old times, just <laughs> sitting there shooting the breeze. And, uh, you know, I've learned some good stuff out of today. Well, all and, phone's always uh, available for a chat, so... And on that subject, Ben... If someone wants to employ your services, get some professional advice, as you said, yep. how would they get hold of you? 
what's the best way? The best way is just to um, to head to our uh, website and we're um, pretty prominently featured at the moment. Um, we're doing a fair bit of advertising. So, And uh, what's your website? So Preston Row Patterson, uh, if you pop in that to any Google search, mm-hmm. um, you'll find our office will come up. Okay. First, uh, yep. first off the rank. So, um, are you inviting connections on LinkedIn? Yes. Yep. Okay. I, I'm happy to take followers and connections. Yep. Cool. And yeah. I'm quite active on uh, on LinkedIn. So, yeah, so appreciate that's the Ben Archibald on LinkedIn, the good-looking one. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, happy to. I'm always happy to chat about uh, property. I'm. Uh, I think I spent half an hour on the phone the other day to a guy who's. Wants to buy a slice of land off his neighbour um, because he wants to improve his view. So all tricky stuff like that we, we get asked about. So Ben, this has been great. Um, you know, really good stuff. And uh, yes, so that's uh, that's it. But we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again, Ben. Thank you. And, Thanks, uh, Pete. Take Invite. care. Okay. All the best. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, Happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening.